on this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Hiker and Layman, presented by Riverwind Casino. We've got a 4th of July treat for you guys. Big 12 football talk. We're projecting the Big 12 season with our man Bill Conley from ESPN. And that's it. Please download and subscribe to the podcast. Rate it five stars and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right? Our man, Michael Hosty will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. Beautiful Monday, July 4th, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Layman, presented by Riverwind Casino. Riverwind is Oklahoma City's premier casino experience, and there are so many reasons why Riverwind is consistently voted OKC's number one casino, but it all starts with their amazing variety of gaming thrills and excitement. Riverwind's beautiful award-winning environment plays host to more than 2,800 of the latest electronic games with a huge selection of table games, including Blackjack, Blackjack Match, Roulette, and Teddy's favorite, Craps. No matter what your game, Riverwind has it in spades and hearts. And the Beats and Bites Festival is rolling, people. Randy Rogers Band, July 9th. Be there. Fireworks after. It's $5 general admission, and kids under 12 get in free. There'll be a ton of food trucks, all kinds of things for the kids to do, including face painting and an inflatable obstacle course. To buy tickets, visit Riverwind.com. Riverwind Casino, simply the best. Now recording this episode well in advance, but still, please leave us a five-star review and a nice comment while you're at it. Hope everyone is having a safe 4th of July. Ted, USA, USA, USA. Yeah, uh, I hope everyone is as well. I think I'm actually lighting off fireworks right now as this thing drops. You know what I'm doing? What? It's a little, little, little interesting, but I am in Napa drinking wine right now. Oh, really? Very fancy. I know. I my wife was like, "We're going to Napa for the Fourth of July." I was like, "Those really don't." <laughs> like, I'd rather be in a dirty lake somewhere. You're taking yeah. me to Napa? I mean, okay. I, I'm not complaining. It, but that's that'll be awesome. That'll be fun. Yeah, so hope you guys are having a great 4th of July. Uh, hope you're being safe, right? Don't let anything go wrong. Make good decisions if you're out there on the lake or, you know, no, no matter what you're doing. But we've got a 4th of July treat for you because normally when you're thinking, oh, it's July, you know, it's the middle of, the off season football still feels kind of far away. Well, we're going to give you all big 12 football talk with our man, Bill Conley. We literally go through each team. This is exactly what you need to zone out for a while with your headphones on as you're cleaning up all the fireworks and empty beer cans out of the backyard. This is, this is where you zone out and just get your big 12 fix. You, you know what this is perfect for? There, there's going to be a person listening to this driving back from the lake. Yeah. 
and maybe they didn't reapply sunscreen properly. <laughs> their their body's feeling real hot. They're real warm. They got they got a bright pink hue to their skin right now. And all this Big 12 football talk is going to take your mind off that sunburn. That's you, that's what we're here for. You know how at the lake you get a hundred boats all tie up and everyone's blaring different music. You think someone's going to be blaring the podcast at the lake? I, I can only hope <laughs> because I'm going to, I'm going to put this out on, on the night of July 3rd. So if someone wants to send us a video of them, of them <laughs> blasting the podcast across the lake from their boat, we, uh, Listening to the pod while they're surfing behind the, uh, the, the wakeboard boat or the surf boat. That'd be awesome. Or you're driving the boat and you're just trying to destroy your kids who are on the inner tube. (laughs) Love it. Yeah. Send us all those videos, but all right, let's get right to it. Here's our man, Bill Conley. Let's talk some big 12 football people. It is our pleasure to be joined by everyone's favorite college football nerd. He is the architect of SB plus ESPN's Bill Conley is in the house. What's going on, man? Uh, not too much. How are you guys doing? I'm doing good. I'm good. No complaints now. So we're, we're not going to run this until 4th of July. And, and we wanted to give our listeners a special treat for the 4th of July. We're, we're going to dive into some big 12 football like a, a deep dive because you put your big 12 preview out on ESPN.com and it's always so in depth and, and so informative. But before we get to that, you are a big soccer guy. Yeah. And for, for me, I'm annoyed that I'm not watching the world cup right now. <laughs> yeah. How, how annoying is it? that we, we don't have soccer just going all day long right now. That's, this is when it's supposed to be. This is ridiculous, Bill. Yeah, soccer isn't supposed to ever, ever, ever have time off. That's like part of the, that's like the best and worst thing about it is there's always something going on. And we do have the women's zeros starting up, you know, here pretty soon. But this, this is exactly World Cup time. We had all those Twitter things like, you know, 12 years ago, Landon Donovan's goal and all that stuff. And you're like, okay, cool. Well, that friendly last week was pretty awesome. But, you know, now we have, we have a long time to go before the, the real consequential stuff starts. And it's going to be over rivalry weekend in college football. USA, England, the same day as like Nebraska, Iowa or whatever. And it's, that, there's going to be a lot. There's, there's, I guess now's the time to sleep basically because um you know november is somehow has somehow figured out a way to get even crazier you guys are gonna have to catch me up (laughs) why why is it moved off into the fall is it because of the heat or something what's yeah yeah so when they awarded it to cutter which is only which is really awarded it to one city doha uh with like eight new stadiums all, all around it uh, they, they at some point realized, yeah, if we have this thing in June, it's going to be, you know, 168 degrees or whatever, and that might be a problem. So they moved it to uh, a, a more palatable time to have it in Qatar, which would be, and, and, and now, you know, the temperatures are going to be basically normal for a World Cup. It's just, you know, they have to pause the actual club season for a month to squeeze it in among everything else going on. So, yeah, That's that was great. purely, uh, now that we've made this, this decision. Well, they've all hated this from the beginning, right? Yeah. Uh, since since it was announced there, and this is like the uh, the icing on the cake, I, I guess. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be 
<laughs> there's there's a lot going on this fall. That's that's really all I can say. It's gonna be wild. Yeah, that is uh, that's gonna be a lot for you. I'll, I'll be <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll watch I'll, I'll watch when the U.S. is playing. We'll see how much how much of the other uh, the other nations uh, I consume uh, because it's right it's right in the middle of the foot, the football yeah. season. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Now that that's frustrating for me, for you, I'm sure. But one thing that I feel like we, we got to talk about is the fact that maybe your life's work has been completed <laughs> because the NCAA changed the rule. <laughs> the PAC 12 got rid of divisions for this season. The ACC announced getting rid of divisions starting next season. Do do you feel like your life's work is complete? Do you feel completely <laughs> and wholly satisfied, Bill? Because this is something you've been banging the drum on for a long, long time. It is funny. Uh, the things you get remembered for over time, like pretty much, um, especially with my work at SB Nation, like pretty much I was, I was tied to getting rid of divisions and I was tied to promotion and relegation. Like every time in May when something crazy happens with relegation in soccer, somebody says, you know, college football should have this or whatever. And then somebody finds my piece on Google um, from a few years ago, like simulated all out where like North Dakota state ended up in the big 10 and all that other stuff. So I don't think that's going to happen. You know, never say never, um, but that's probably a little out of reach. But scrapping divisions is is a lovely thing. I mean, it, if you're a fan of of a of a middleweight team, um, you know, I'm, I'm a Mizzou alum, so I'll you know, middleweight, light heavyweight. You know, you know, your path to the title game just got a heck of a lot harder. But it's also fair, <laughs> you know. You got a lot of the you know Northwestern squeezing in, winning the Big Ten West when the four best teams in the conference were in the East. You know, things like that are, uh, you know, it's kind of neat seeing these teams in the conference title game. But it's not the way these things should work necessarily. So yeah, permanent rivals, conferences get to feel like conferences again because you play everybody within four years. That was, I mean, coming up in the Big Twelve, you know, being in a Big Twelve school in the late '90s and 2000s, that was one of the best parts about it was, you know, Missouri didn't play Texas tech every year. They still played twice every four, um, you know, Missouri goes to the sec. They played LSU like once base or twice, maybe although one of them was a blowout. So it didn't count. Um, so it, it just, it feels it's great all the way around. It's a great thing for a given conference, especially when you get up to 12, 14, 16 teams. And hopefully I'm assuming the others will follow suit and we'll see when that happens. <sighs> I like it on its face. I'm, I'm always hesitant because I feel like this gives an opportunity to screw with the scheduling <laughs> and, and give favoritism to the best teams and give them the schedules they need on years that they're going to be good. And <laughs> maybe, maybe that's a unfounded uh, worry, but I see what the SEC has done with divisions. Mm -hmm. And you just mentioned how long it is uh, between times that some of those teams play. They didn't have to do it that way. They chose to do it that way. This is the thing that worries me whenever you get rid of divisions. I feel like what everyone has said is, hey, we know that most of the teams in our conference aren't going to win a championship. <laughs> There's only a couple of them. So let's do what we can to make the path for those handful of teams easier on you know given years am i 
am I a tinfoil hat on this thing or do you see that type of stuff happening? Well, with the SEC, luckily, some of the rivalries you have to keep are, are will assure that those top teams are playing each other like you know, Auburn, like there's almost no way they don't get Alabama and Georgia, right? That, that's kind of a, a necessity if we go to the permanent rivals thing. And, you know, we'll see. I know I know some people are holding out for eight games as opposed to nine and, and one permanent rival as opposed to two or three. And that'd just be an absolute disaster, I think. But if they go to kind of a nine game schedule with three permanent rivals, Auburn will play Alabama and Georgia, Alabama. Well, we'll see how good Tennessee is in the future, but Alabama will play Tennessee and so on and so forth. Oklahoma will play Texas and A&M you figure. So I do figure their hands are going to be kind of tight, even if they want to do that and make sure that their elite teams get easy schedules, the rivalries themselves will insist that they don't. So that's, that's something at least. Yeah. All right. Let's talk some big 12 football. It's, Man, it's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting year in the Big Twelve because <laughs> you look at the top of the conference. I mean, it, OU included, like everyone lost so much off their teams. Now, what one of the things that you you put out every year is your returning production statistic. Mm. When when you look at the Big Twelve in particular, what teams are bringing back the most? from their squads last year and like how significant is that in the way that you you project these teams heading into the 2022 season yeah it is kind of a, a tricky year for the conference when it comes to that returning production just because iowa state like in the current rankings the ones i put out yesterday um or on on twitter at least like iowa state's 128th in returning production uh, west virginia's 127th baylor is 126th oklahoma state's 111th um, overall, the Big 12 has the second lowest re- production returning. Now, I should mention that the transfer portal has it, it's it's there, it's not necessarily returning production like it's only your team's production. It's it's basically everybody you know with transfers and in, get included. You know their their production at a different school, and so um, it includes all that. It includes you know for for Oklahoma, it includes Dylan Gabriel's production and and whatnot. But yeah, overall. The, the Big 12 does appear to take a, a decent-sized hit from uh, from this, from, from attrition in general. While the, the AAC returns 50 or 67% on average, SEC is actually about 67% too. Big 12 is at 60. Not, it's not dramatic, but it's still a pretty big difference. And really, on the on the on the flip side of that, TCU and Kansas return a ton, either because they return players from last year or they brought in transfers that that produced at a given school. Oh, using the top fifty, which is generally pretty good for a top five or ten team, and it's a sign that as many transfers as they lost, they brought in guys as well. But on average, it, it hit more teams than it than it uh, you know benefited, and we'll see what that means for the race overall. How does it factor in, and I, I'm assuming you've, you've probably tracked this one way or another, or, but a, a guy from like a non-Power 5 conference that transfers <laughs> to a Power 5, like how have you found that production translates? Is it, is it you know, different than if you transfer from a Power 5 school to a Power 5? Does it all end up being about the same? It, what have you seen with that? 
Yeah, in previous years, I, I have a I'll have a piece in late July ish, I think, about basically that. Um, now that we had a pretty transfer heavy year last year, we'll kind of get a better view for you. Do you do figure there's some, that some of the production at a G five conference gets lost in translation? Obviously, the guys trans uh, you know moving up from FCS, there's going to be the same kind of effect. But in previous years, it was really only the really good players who were doing that. And therefore, they were usually pretty good when, when they moved up to the next level. So uh, I, I am going to you know, take the time to kind of break down exactly, you know, if you were at this level, if you're, a, a, you know, a, a six out of 10 on the scale or whatever uh, at the G5 level, it turns out you're a four at the P5 level, however that works out. And, and so we'll see. But yeah, historically, it's only been the really good players making that move. And historically, if you go from a P5 down because uh, you weren't playing, more often than not, you're not playing at the G5 level very much either. Um, and so that's going to be it's going to be really interesting over these next few years to see which coaches kind of interpret these things differently and, and start to realize, like, you know, maybe it makes sense to bring in a ton of transfers for your first season where, you know, the, the alternative is signing freshmen that the last guy got a commitment from and you don't even know them. Maybe it makes sense to load up on the portal that first year. But we might see transfers get used a little less over time if it turns out they really don't you know, produce at a, at a, at a new school either. So that'll be interesting. We'll get you back to the interview, but first the only place to stop when you're road tripping is loves travel stops. Loves has over 600 locations in 41 States offering 24 hour access to clean and safe places. Whatever your road trip needs are loves has it fuel, fresh food, all the snacks and drinks, including yes, my favorite Java. Amore. That coffee is fantastic. Loves also has you covered if you forget your phone charger or headphones. They've expanded their mobile-to-go zone so you can grab any of that stuff there. Make sure you download the Loves Connect app for exclusive offers from today's most popular brands. The Loves Connect app also includes a route planner and store locator. When you see that red neon heart on the highway, stop in and say hi at Loves Travel Stops. For a full list of what Loves has to offer, visit loves.com. Opolis Clothing is the exclusive home for all of our Oklahoma breakdown merchandise. If you want to live your life in buttery soft comfort, go to opolisclothing.com. That's O-P-O-L-I-S clothing.com and use promo code TED, T-E-D, for 10% off your entire order. You still get a discount on all of the OU and OKC Thunder gear as well. That's opolisclothing.com. Use promo code TED for 10% off. Buttery soft and 10% off and make sure you send your kids to Bishop McGinnis Catholic high school. Bishop McGinnis Catholic high school has a long tradition of educational excellence with a 12 to one student to teacher ratio. No student is overlooked. Bishop Bishop McGinnis's college prep curriculum offers 22 AP courses. There are numerous clubs and organizations for students to join. And as a proud member of the OSSAA, there are 14 sports offered. If you want to provide the best possible educational and spiritual development for your children, contact Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School or visit bmchs.org. Remember, financial aid is available. It's time to get back out on the golf course, people, and there's nothing better to drink on the course than the number one seltzer in golf, Clubby Seltzers. Clubby Seltzers is an Oklahoma company that is already winning national awards because their product is delicious. It tastes exactly like a club special, but it's a seltzer. They're not just for the golf course either. They're perfect to drink by the pool after mowing the lawn on the 4th of July, whatever. 
If you haven't tried Clubby Seltzers, go grab some. You won't regret it. The first variety pack is out. Find a place near you that has Clubbies. Visit clubbyseltzers.com. All right, back to the interview. Okay, looking at the SP Plus projections heading into the 2022 season here in the Big 12, OU's had a lot of change, Yeah, right? New head coach, new offense coordinator, what, 15 transfers out, 13 transfers in. <laughs> and SP Plus is still projecting the Sooners to finish first in the Big 12. Why? <laughs> I mean, part of it is because the guys they lost, they replaced with pretty equal production. And so, you know, obviously that, that, that G five to P five jump, that's going to, we're going to learn a lot about that just from OU this coming season. You got a really productive linebacker and TD roof, a lot of guys like that who, you know, we'll see what they do when they jump to the big 12 uh, Dylan Gabriel is the same way. He was as productive as you could possibly want him to be. Um, I think I used his 2020 stats for the, for the product for, for, uh, projections, not last year. I try not to, if you were injured, I try to go to the previous year, but yeah, it's going to be super interesting. Um, it, pr- historically, what these projections are generally made up of is recruiting rankings, which OU's been fine at that. Um, recent history, OU's clearly been fine at that. Even last year, they ended up in the top 15 overall. Um, and then the the production piece, which is the blurry part, because you know, does all this production from a different school translate at a new school and everything? I, I, I it is funny though because I know exactly why they ended up fifth. It's hard to. It's hard to like trust that just because they're wearing OU helmets and OU uniforms that, you know, OU's recent history actually matters this coming year with a new coach and everything else. So that's if there's a runaway team in this conference, I assume it's OU. There's reason to believe they won't run away with things. And if they don't, there's like five or six teams that could be involved in this race, which is going to be a lot of fun, I think. Have, have you just to kind of build on the the production thing? Have you have you ever tracked like, for instance, uh, Jeff Levy's offensive quarter coordinator now at Oklahoma? Mm-hmm. You look at his offense at Ole Miss that he was calling uh, was fantastic. Production was great, balanced offense. Uh, now he's gone to OU. Does any of that factor in, or do you track that on how 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 different coaches do whenever they go from one one maybe one conference to another or? just how, how that typically translates because, you know, the talking point for Sooner fans is, hey, offense at Ole Miss was great. Yep. Offense will be great at Oklahoma. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. I've never figured out a way to work that into the projections because everything's very zero-sum and, you know, just, you know, we to, to work it into projections, it has to be like almost like a category, like offensive coordinators for the last three years average this, and then they go to a new school and blah, blah, blah. I've never figured out a good way to do that. Um, it, it was very reassuring with the numbers, though, because, I mean, obviously – the head coach who just left was one of the most proven offensive coaches in the country. And now you're bringing in one. I, 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 he hasn't obviously been doing it all that long, but you have to say that Levy's one of the most proven offensive coordinators in the country, just from the offenses he's been associated with at Ole Miss and UCF. So I feel pretty good about that. It doesn't work its way into projections, but I do, I, I do kind of figure, Oh, you going to have, what are they projected fifth on offense? I kind of figure they're probably going to be a top 10 or 15 offense at worst, um, even with all these new pieces. So that's something where, yeah, the numbers don't reflect it, but I feel pretty good about it at the very least. Yeah. You, 
you, you mentioned kind of the expectation that the offense is going to be good. Uh, looking at your projections for the defense, kind of what, mm-hmm. what does that picture look like for Oklahoma? Um, in theory, it's good because of the amount of experience, because of the amount of production they bring in, um, again, from the G5 level mostly. So we'll see um, how that part translates. But it just uh, – there's a lot of – I mean, that was one of the problems last year was a pretty dramatic lack of experience uh, in pretty key areas. Not necessarily true freshmen across the board, but a lot of sophomores, especially up front, especially, uh, you know, I, I guess at the cornerback position too. And so – just bringing those guys back and then adding this layer of, uh, you know, the, the Jeffrey Johnson's and TD roofs and CJ Colden's of the world. Um, that's, that should result in improvement, especially when you factor in that Brent Vettles is, you know, generally associated with good defense and he'll probably, whatever the, whatever they're capable of, he'll probably get them to a pretty solid level this year. So they're projected 24th overall. That kind of feels a little aggressive to me. I'd be more comfortable with like top 40 because they were only 58th last year, but you do figure the odds of improvement are good. And, you know, I, I, to, to flip back to Levy though, I, I do one of the interesting things um, about kind of college football in 2022 is that, there aren't many guys who are still using a lot of tempo. Like it's become a very selective thing. Defenses have adjusted to it a little bit more. Not as many offenses seem to find a permanent advantage out of it. Let me, he's probably going to try, you know, that's it's in his, uh, you know, he was with Hypel who very much tries tempo still. Um, Kiffin was on the, the high end of that too. So you figure, Oh, you might raise the, the tempo a little bit. Maybe that helps the offense. Maybe it ends up hurting the defense. I don't know, but that is a factor to consider because Riley wasn't a tempo guy necessarily out of certain situations. That is interesting how it's, (laughs) it's, it's, it's fascinating that it's like a new thing now <laughs> to see offenses get in a huddle. Yeah. Right? It's like, what, what's happening here? What is this? But <laughs> I don't know. It, it's interesting. I think there's, there's some benefits from it, but um, it, it's, I think the fewer people that do tempo and this is just a, kind of a guess, but the fewer teams that do it, the more effective it will be as defenses are not as accustomed right. to it week by week, you know? So I, I don't know how that exactly plays out, but um, I, I guess one of the things with Oklahoma that's, that's hard to look at. And, you know, I know you, whenever it comes into the projections, I guess it goes through the recruiting rankings, but I, I feel like offensively, we've got a bunch of guys that, you know, they're, they're fairly highly recruited guys, but the production isn't going to factor in, but I feel like they could be a big part of the offense, like Javante Barnes, um, you know, a couple of the young receivers in Jaden Gibson or uh, Nick Anderson. So how do you look at that? And how do you, how do you kind of project what some of those guys are possibly going to do? Yeah, it is going to be a really interesting depth chart fight this year for a lot in a lot of positions on both sides of the ball, I think, because you mentioned Barnes, you know, obviously a very high level recruit. You still got Eric Gray. Um, you got uh, Ben Tavius Thompson. Now the guy from UCF who was, you know, a mere mid three-star guy, but has been pretty productive. And you've got a lot of those types of battles, you know, the, the four-star freshman versus, you know, maybe a JJ Hester from Missouri who hasn't played a lot, but has a little bit of experience. Um, 
and and especially on defense, you know, where four-star freshmen basically at least wanted it just about every position and then the CJ Coldens of the world and, and trying to fin them off. So in theory, this is good. You know, you got upside, you got experience, maybe, maybe from different guys uh, instead of, you know, the same one uh, at the same time, but in theory, this is really good for competition and the, the four-star freshmen who see the field will have beaten out some pretty solid guys and, and displayed at the very least kind of display that they have a pretty high floor. Um, and you know, that's really all you can ask for, especially on, on a defense that is kind of, you know, trying to rebound a little bit. Wasn't very good last year, got burned too much and, um, you know, competitional help. So before we move on to the rest of the conference, what, what are the projections saying for OU, uh, when it comes to, you know, their performance in the conference and then their performance overall for 2022? Well, if you believe that they're a top five team, like the numbers say, then, I mean, they're favored in every game. Um, some of those, are, I mean, only slightly in some cases, like five and a half points at Nebraska, um, eight points against Texas, but double digits in every single other game. So it really, if they're really a top five team, the stage is set for a, a pretty fantastic year. The problem is, you know, are they? You know, again, just because they're wearing OU helmets, is this an OU team that is really projectable right now? Um, if they're if they're a top 15 team, then they're still going to be favored in most games. But, you know, uh, the Oklahoma State and Nebraska and Baylor and Texas games all become a lot closer to toss ups and, and they'll probably drop a couple of those. But no, I mean, it really if they live up to projections, it's going to be a fantastic season. I don't think there's any way around that. All right. <laughs> I want to ask another question about like your method. Sorry. Yeah. I, I'm yeah. fascinated by it. I think it's awesome. So back to the up-tempo, mm -hmm. how, how does that, how is that graph? Is it uh, like the average duration between snaps? Like how, how do you come up with like less people are doing it than before? And like, how is that, you know, how does that whole thing work out? Yeah. So the, the way I generally measure tempo and it doesn't necessarily go into SP plus by any means, I, I mean, that's kind of a per play thing overall, mm -hmm. but the way I tend to look at tempo is, you know, start with your run pass rate. Obviously if you're throwing more, you're stopping the clock more, right. With incompletions and, and throws to the sideline and all that. So if you throw a lot, you're expected to have more plays, but we can kind of basically use your run pass ratio to say like on average, you would average, you know, 23.7 seconds between snaps or whatever that number is. And then we can basically look at what you actually did and, and see, you know, these teams did more, were, were, were clearly going faster than the average. These teams were clearly going slower than the average, you know, Stanford's always at the bottom uh, in terms of, you know, what they did versus how fast they did it. Um, but last year, let's see. Uh, so last year, Tennessee was, was the fastest team in the country in terms of tempo, because they were basically, you know, what is that? Like 20 seconds between snaps where their run pass ratio suggested it should have been like 25 or something to that effect. Um, so Tennessee was up there. Ole Miss was third, uh, with Levy. So clearly, I mean, obviously they, you know, he was involved with Heupel and Kiffin, obviously Heupel and Kiffin had a large role to play. You still kind of figured that, that Levy's going to want to, uh, hit the, hit the gas quite a bit. North Texas was up there, Seth Luttrell, you had Kent state up there. Uh, but it really was as far as power pro uh, conference programs go, it was Heupel and Kiffin, uh, at the very top. And, you know, Levy has been involved with both those guys. Interesting. Yeah. So 
they're going to play fast offensively. There, there's <laughs> most likely, yeah. Yeah, there, there's no doubt. Okay, so I'm looking at your SP plus projections, and OU's at one, and my goodness, Texas is at two. <laughs> Despite going five and seven last year, they're projected to finish second in the conference. Is it? Did did SP plus take in? Arch Manning's commitment, like how <laughs> is that what the bump is from, Bill? What's well, going on here? Well, What's going I think on? The, the most noteworthy thing isn't necessarily that Texas is second in the conference as much as they're thirty first overall. They're only projected to improve a little bit. the The interesting part is that Texas, Oklahoma State, Kansas State, Baylor, and TCU are all, and and really Texas Tech as well, really close together. Um, they're all OSU and Baylor again, like I was saying, they lose a ton of production. So they are projected to fall back to the pack a bit, kind of curious with Baylor, you know, it's really easy to see what Dave Aranda put together last year and just assume, okay, well, that's just what they're going to be, you know, no matter who's, who's on the field, they're going to be awesome in the, in these specific ways. And maybe that's true, but they, with how, with how ridiculously volatile Baylor has been over the last five years, or it's like one win, six, 11 to 12 or whatever it was um, they don't get the benefit of the doubt from the numbers just yet. So yeah, Texas squeezes into that number two spot. They're still really far behind Oklahoma and much, much closer to like the five teams below them. But I mean, to that extent though, recruiting does play a role. So Texas always ends up getting a little bit of a bump in the projections from that, no matter how, no matter, even though they've had four losing seasons in the last eight years, which is still just absolutely mind blowing. Um, yeah, they at least get the benefit of the doubt from that part. Uh, I, something interesting on on our show the other day when we were talking about OU Texas. Texas has out-recruited Oklahoma <laughs> 14, 14 to 8 over the last 22 recruiting cycles. But the games over the same span, OU's beat them 14 to 7. So it's flipped. And <laughs> what's interesting is we couldn't think of any other case where a team consistently out recruits one team and the other team consistently beats them. It seems like something that doesn't really ever happen. I mean, there, there's probably some out there, yeah. but we couldn't really find any. So that, that's just a fascinating aspect with Texas. Yeah, I, I think the only way I can make sense of Texas in general uh, and basically the last 40 years of Texas is it seems this should be an easy job in terms of money and recruiting and all this. It's clearly a really, really hard job. Um, and it's I mean, it's Texas's fault. It's a hard job, but I, it's really hard to come up with examples of, you know, booster influence and and arrows pointed in a whole lot of different directions uh whether you know and and being really hard to wrangle all those pieces but basically when it comes to coach hires i've basically just taken a look at it at the team instead of the coach they hire like ou's made basically two bad hires in 75 years so venables is probably going to be a good hire ohio state same way like when's the last time they made John Cooper took a little while. He still almost won a couple national titles. They haven't made a bad hire in, in 70 years. Um, and so Texas has made one good hire in 40 years, like period. Like everybody else has underachieved compared to recruiting <laughs> rankings. This is a really hard job. And Sark, 
I'm not going to say that Sark isn't going to get it done, but he he certainly didn't show last year that he can get all the arrows pointed in the right direction. Maybe Arch Manning, it, 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 well, the number one, it's going to buy him time, right? Like even if they struggle again this year, they're probably not going to risk losing Arch uh, by getting rid of Sark. So that'll help him in that regard. But man, I mean, if, if Quinn Ewers starts this year, is that because Sark thinks it's the he's the best quarterback or because the boosters bought him and said, you're, he's going to start this year. Like that's, it's a hard job. It's really hard. And OU is, is dramatically easy by comparison. I think there's got to be a part of you that whenever all the data spits out Texas at Uh, number two, you go, damn it. I know. (laughs) Yeah. Especially with the way OSU and Baylor played last year. I thought this was a good opportunity to, to avoid that, but sure enough, there there they are. And, and and, I mean, FBI has them a lot higher that I can say that I, 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 you know, I, again, I only have them 31st. That's the one thing I can lean on, but they are still second in the conference. Yeah, I I think that probably says a lot about the state of the Big 12 currently, but I, w- I will say, I expect Texas's offense to be really good with yours and, and Bijan, Xavier Worthy, uh, Whittington, if he's healthy, uh, Nayer, the, the transfer, Ajay Hall, right, transfer. Like, they've got talent. The offense yeah. should be good. But I just I've got no idea about their defense. I got no idea if they're going to improve. And and Gary Patterson, you know, that is another weird dynamic, right? You just um, yeah. you know, you pulled Pete Kwiatkowski from Washington, where he always succeeded, and they struggled last year. And you just hired as a special assistant one of the most successful defensive coaches of the last twenty years. Uh, that's going to be kind of a weird dynamic in the in the defensive coaches room. Um, maybe it'll be fine. I'm not going to guarantee it won't be, but that is still unique. It's going to be unique all the way around. And they were 86 defensively last year per SP plus. So there's a ton of room for improvement there. And it's hard to, it's hard to guarantee it's going to be a dramatic improvement. Yeah. I, I, one of my worries about Texas is that, you know, take a, a guy like B. John Robinson, for example, you know, they play Alabama early. Mm-hmm. If if this thing, uh, a freshman quarterback, uh, assuming Quinn Ewers is the guy that gets the job, it, it wouldn't be – you would expect him to struggle some early. Right. And if things go bad, they lose a couple of games. You know, a running back like Bijan, what's to keep him from saying, <laughs> you know what, right. I've, I've made some money here. I'm good. Uh, you know, I'm I'm going to be the maybe the best running back in this draft class. I've had some NIL stuff. I'm going to step away so I don't get injured. That's that's one of the things that kind of worries me about some of their returning players. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is kind of a permanent concern now with with a given team moving forward. If you have high expectations and a lot of juniors, um, how's that going to play out if you suffer some early disappointments? I. I'm curious if if NIL has an effect on that, in, just in terms of you know you got to be on the field to to make the maximum amount of money or, or whatever. But you got to if you got to play or else you got to give the Lamborghini back. <laughs> right, exactly. If you once you opt out, the you got to say goodbye. I have no idea. Like obviously, well, you, that's called a soft opt out where you really <laughs> nurse that ankle. That, that I was about to say that my ankles just really bother me. I can't shake it. Yeah. 
Um, that will be, but in general, we are seeing with NIL, we are seeing potentially, it seems a lot, you know, more, more people staying in school for an extra year and all that. So maybe that has an effect, but it will be an interesting year. You know, also, as far as Alabama in week two, does that affect the quarterback situation? Like uh, if you just assume that whoever is starting against Alabama is going to struggle, uh, and you end up losing by the projected margins, 14 points. What if it's like 21 or 24, like, does that affect who you start out the year with? If Hudson Card is just out playing Quinn Ewers in practice and you know everybody's going to be freaked out, maybe you let him get roughed up by by Alabama. And then I said Will Anderson will definitely have an effect on the quarterback play uh, moving forward. <laughs> yeah, no, that's going to be – there are just so many extra variables you have to consider with any school, but especially with Texas. And, um, and I mean, good luck, Sark. If he figures it out, it's, it, he's going to win a ton of games, but a few guys actually figure it out. Can you imagine if they start a true freshman tackle in that game oh, against God. Will Anderson? <laughs> oh my gosh! Okay, looking at looking at the projections, you've got Oklahoma State projected third, and you think about last year best best defense in the history of Oklahoma State football. <laughs> uh, a lot of change though; uh, a lot of players are gone off that defense. Jim Knowles is gone, so one of the things that Ted and I have talked a lot about is them having to change their style on offense as a result of most likely taking a step back right on defense. Is, is that kind of how you see it? And, and what, what do you think has, has Oklahoma state projected to, to still be a, you know, real, a really solid team. Yeah. I mean, they were, they were fourth last year on defense. They're projected to fall to 22nd, which um, I mean, it's still pretty ambitious. I think it's a reminder that they're, I mean, they might have the best set of defensive ends in the country this year. Um, just in terms of the two deep, they have four guys who would start just about anywhere. And that's a, a lovely luxury to have. Um, but after outside the front four, obviously, you know, you're losing two incredible linebackers. You're losing what two, two awesome safeties and two awesome cornerbacks. It was just such a perfect kind of um, combination of talent and experience and the style they were asked to play. They were so good at it. You know, basically daring the refs to call holding on every single defense on, on every single pass play, knowing they wouldn't very Legion of boom esque in that regard. Um, it's, it's clear that, that the defense is going to, it has no choice, but to regress to some degree, but I think what's going to make the, what's going to answer any question about Oklahoma state this year is going to be, you know, did they, their offensive shift last year, they, they were even more power based than they had been. And they've always kind of had a, a 15 to 25 carry running back on the roster, but the, the kind of the, the extra leaning on conservative play and, and run and all that, was that because they just knew they had the defense and they didn't have to take any risks on offense? Was that because they couldn't air it out on offense? They just, they, they weren't as capable offensively and that's why they were playing that way. And I don't, I don't necessarily know the answer. I mean, Spencer Sanders is uh, basically every year I was looking at total QBR every year. He's around like 41st and hasn't really gotten better or worse in the last three seasons. But I mean, uh, that's not terrible, but it's not great either. And he still, you know, runs himself into, you know, some YOLO throws here and there and, and <laughs> runs himself into some pressure and, um, if you have to re rely on him more because your defense is allowing a few more points, like I mean, Kenny Pickett wasn't amazing until he was a senior either. So maybe he's got that potential in him, but it's hard to, it's hard to guarantee that. And that's why, the, why I kind of feel like they're going to, you know, they're still going to win eight, nine, 10 games, but I don't see them as necessarily a top 10 team this year. 
We'll get you back to the interview. But first, attention business owners, you need Insurica in your life. Yeah, you do. Insurica is one of the country's largest insurance brokers with 30 offices throughout Oklahoma, Texas, and the Southwest. Insurica is able to customize programs by accessing the latest information from many insurance carriers. They compare and contrast coverage offerings and pricing in order to design a cost-effective, comprehensive program to meet your business's specific needs. Insurica's clients become best-in-class businesses by working with Insurica's team of advisors to manage risk. Purchasing insurance is only one way to protect your business. Best-in-class businesses win by avoiding a loss in the first place. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk. I'm an Insurica client, and you should be too. If your business wants to be best in class, connect with Insurica at Insurica.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A dot com. First Fidelity Bank is a full-service financial institution based in Oklahoma with tailored solutions for all your personal and business needs. Checking accounts, saving accounts, home loans, and much more. They do it all. Whether it's online banking from your computer or mobile banking from your phone, everything is stress-free with FFB. Making mobile deposits, paying bills online, and moving money to different accounts could not be easier. First Fidelity Bank provides free ATMs worldwide, making banking convenient wherever you are. They also give back to the community. FFB donates a total of more than $500,000 to local charities and educational foundations. Make your life easier and go bank with First Fidelity Bank. Visit ffb.com for more information. And if you're a whiskey or bourbon drinker, stop what you're doing. Head to your favorite liquor store and buy some Balcones products. You got to grab some of Balcones Lineage Single Malt Whiskey. It was just voted one of the top 20 whiskeys in the world by Whiskey Advocate, and you'll be shocked by how affordable it is. Also, you got to snag some of Balcones Baby Blue Corn Whiskey. It's made from blue corn. That's the fancy corn. And that is why it has won more than 25 awards. Last but certainly not least, you got to buy some of Balcones Pot Still Bourbon. Its big flavors make it the perfect bourbon to drink year-round. Remember, in 2012, Balcones Single Malt won the Best in Glass competition, beating brands like Johnny Walker and McAllen, and became the first American distillery to win the competition. This stuff is the real deal, people. If you love great whiskey and bourbon at a great price, then Balcones products are the only way to go. The whiskey may be made in Texas, but the owners, yes, they are from Oklahoma. To find a liquor store that has it, visit BalconesDistilling.com. All right, back to the interview. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. The, the flip that basically the whole conference made yeah. in like a season and a half. Right? <laughs> we went from... Uh, an up-tempo conference where everyone's airing it out. Everyone's chasing Oklahoma up and down the field to where, you know, everyone's defensive minded, slows it down kind of to a snail's pace. And yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see if Oklahoma state can play good. Like you can't play the style they played last year. If you don't have a great defense and if they're going to struggle defensively, they're probably going to have to get more aggressive. And I say struggle, not necessarily struggle. If you, if you can't hold everyone to like 10 or 14, right. like they did a year ago, you, you may have to get more aggressive offensively. It's just so interesting to me how the whole feeling of the conference changed. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of that had to do, I think, with experience, specifically on the defensive side. I mean, last year between Baylor, 
Oklahoma State and Iowa State, the amount of returning defensive players that they yeah. had was was unreal. So, I mean, I'm sure that has a big effect on the overall style of the conference. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it was funny. I went to Kansas this spring, did a Lance Leipold piece uh, that went up last week, and I didn't use this for the piece, but it was funny. I was asking them, like, what were your impressions of the Big 12? Because they were coaching in the MAC until May, <laughs> and they had, you know, they nobody, they weren't researching the Big 12 just in case or anything. So they walk in the door, they started wa- watching the film, they go through the season last fall, they're like, I, this is not what I expected at all. <laughs> this was so much more physical. I mean, Oklahoma State and Baylor were physical physical teams last year um and that was not really what their impressions were when they walked in the door so that was kind of funny to see i do figure i mean obviously the fact that the big 12 loses so much production this year is is a reminder like it basically flips from year to year so last year they were extremely experienced and that absolutely played a role i also think just in general you know, Big 12 is kind of one of the first conferences to really embrace the spread from top to bottom. That also means maybe they're the first ones to start coming up with some answers for it. Um, and you have what John, John Haycock has done at Iowa State and Gary Patterson, that TCU's defense was terrible last year, but before last year, he, he obviously uh, was very consistently good defensively. You know, uh, Gundy hiring Jim Knowles. Knowles had kind of figured out this physical style at Duke and it took him a few years to implement it. He needed that experience level, but he still got it. There's still a lot of defensive creativity in the conference too. And that doesn't necessarily end uh, just because the experience levels are down. So I do think offenses are probably going to do have a little bit more success because of experience. Still got a lot of good defensive coaches though. So uh, a defense that really improved throughout the season last year that stood out to me was the team that you've got projected to finish fourth in the conference. And that's Kansas state. Yep. Right. Really settled into that three man front scheme. I, I thought Felix and you and you DK Uzama was one of the best players in the country that no <laughs> one knows about. And that defense ended up, you know, from a statistical standpoint, being really solid for them yep. by the end of the year. I, I know Adrian Martinez is the big question mark for that team. Deuce Vaughn's fantastic, but what a what are kind of your thoughts on K State as you look at these projections heading in the year? Yeah, I've really confused Kansas State fans on Twitter this offseason because one week I'm I'm like, man, I'm really talking myself into this team, and then the next year, I, the next week, I say really nice things about Kansas. Um, but then I think, you know, it's really easy to talk yourself into K-State. This is a, you know, what was it like 17 or 18 points per game over the second half of the season, what they allowed. And I I had an impression that NUDK Uzoma was good. Um, You know, you watch him and you're like, wow, this guy's pretty good. I didn't realize we're talking about 11 sacks and seven. He took part in 17 tackles for loss. Um, He was good against the run, too, even though he's only 250 pounds like this. He was just top to bottom, like statistically one of the best defensive ends in the country last year. And that's not something I was really Daniel Green kind of caught up to me, too, in that regard. They were making a ton of disruptive plays. This is a very Kansas State. It's really easy to to generalized based on what we saw at the end of the bill snyder era you know it's a collective they're playing a lot of walk-ons they're very smart you know all the little backhand ways that we had of saying they don't recruit very well um i mean kansas state obviously they're not lighting the world on fire from a blue chip recruiting standpoint but in terms of star power do they have the most in the conference like just get the, the guys we know are absolutely fantastic because they've got deuce um i realize uh what uh, brooks and Knowles in the receiving core they're they're probably better 
return and then they are, but they're still good receivers. Um, but they've got uh, the, the two guys in the front seven too, who would start for just about anybody. I don't, they might have the most genuine, like just individual star power in the conference. And that makes them, that alone makes them a threat. Plus the schedule, you know, you start with what four home games in five, you get Oklahoma state and Texas at home. You can really talk yourself into Kansas state. I think. Yeah. Uh, interesting. I think this year so far, like they, it's just commitments. They haven't signed them yet, but like right now they've got committed the first and second rated players in Kansas, which mm. they have never ever signed yeah. the first and second best player in, in the state, in their own state, which is crazy to think about as good as they've been at times. So I think that's pretty interesting. Yeah. Oh, How yeah. about, what about Adrian Martinez? Um, I, <laughs> yeah. I'm one of the guys. What a response. That, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What I'm, about him? <laughs> I'm one of, and maybe, I, I don't know what it is, but maybe it's, it's kind of like what you're talking about, like our thoughts of Kansas state and how they play and, you know, just kind of methodical and smart. I feel like Adrian Martinez, like on paper, this is the perfect school for him to go play at, but who knows what the, what it's actually going to look like. Yeah. I mean, his stats, obviously he's played four years. Um, He got the bonus year, but you step back and think, look at his stats from the last four years to Nebraska 80. Like he basically averaged uh, what, uh, like 2000 passing yards and 600 rushing yards or so per season, you know, career, 45 touchdowns, 64% completion rate, uh, mobile guy, clearly. He's, uh, it's because we saw the fourth quarters of Nebraska games last year. He is one of the hardest people in the country to read because in so many ways he is openly, obviously good. And he fumbles and then he throws the, 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 it's like every mistake he made last year was at the worst possible time. Um, That doesn't, that's, that affects our impressions of him, but it's also not really something that, that repeats for most players. You know, it was just, it was poor timing. Obviously his special teams at Nebraska, like they were just constantly imploding and constantly putting him in an awkward situation. I mean, well, Kansas state, uh, they weren't amazing spelling special teams last year, but year to year, they're just about the most consistent special teams team on the, you know, on the planet. It feels like this is such a much better situation for him that it's not going to necessarily matter that he fumbled with three minutes left against what Michigan or whatever. Like I it's, it's all circumstantial. The things that are, that are, are, I guess, cons on his pro con list, but the pros he's been showing for a long time. And you do figure that his mobility, uh, the, the efficiency that he can play with, uh, that's going to pair perfectly with two spawn in the backfield. That's, that seems like a great marriage right there. Yeah. And we'll see if, Colin Klein could get the most out of him. Okay, we we have not talked about the defending champs yet in Baylor yep. because SP Plus hasn't projected <laughs> to finish fifth. Yeah. It, does the does the algorithm just hate Blake Shapen or what? What's going on here, Bill? <laughs> well, that is part of it, just in that like it looks at the quarterback position and says, Well, you just lost 74% of last year's passing yard. That's that's probably you know, that, that could be a problem right there. And it doesn't, you know, it's not going to be programmed to realize well, Shapen kind of displaced the 74% uh, of passing yards. And, and I mean, 
on the other side of that, we also know that Shapin's only throwing 86 passes, you know, so we don't, we think he's going to be good. We don't, we don't have all the evidence in the world on that just yet, but I think the biggest issues for Baylor, I mean, the skill core got destroyed. Um, you know, this Abram, losing Abram Smith, losing Tyquan Thornton, and basically five of last year's top six targets. That's a huge deal. The secondary got hit really, really hard. There were, what, seven guys who got at least 300 snaps last year. Two of them are back. Um, so SP Plus is designed, the, the returning production formula is designed to look at what generally tends to have the most impact like losing your running back actually doesn't really impact next year's SP plus rating that much losing a bunch of receivers and a bunch of defensive backs does. So even if we say that they're artificially low because it's, it doesn't understand what shaping can do, they're still going to be projected to fall because of the receiving core and the defensive backs. I that's hard for me because offensive line is going to be really good defensive line. They just added Jackson player. Jack's player was one of my favorite players in the country the last two years Um, in the trenches. They might be just, it might just be that they're so good that they can, they can account for the rest of that. You can't really attack their vulnerable secondary because their defensive line is just so dominant, but it's still, I at least understand why the numbers say what they say. That's really all I can ask for. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know just like personally, you know, I think Gabe probably feels the same way. Like offensive production, like the key to that football team is their running game. Yeah. And I know they lost their running back, but that system is really the key. And I, I'm fairly confident that they're going to find a guy that can do what they're asking him to. And, it's the running game is going to be there and that's going to help everything else. Cause they were a pretty limited passing team yeah. last year. And that's what's for me so scary. And I can see like they're, they're fifth. <clears throat> I think there is room for volatility there, but oh yeah, you got to think that shaping for a coach to tell the starter from a year ago to <laughs> find another place to play yep. uh, because we're going with this other kid it makes you feel a little bit worried about how good that may be. Yeah. I mean, that was, um, Aranda knew if I name shaping the starter now, Bohannon's absolutely entering the transfer portal tomorrow. And he, and he did it anyway, that that does tell you something. And I can say they lost Abram Smith. They also invented Abram Smith. Like he was a linebacker. Like he, he, um, he didn't, he wasn't some, you know, 6,000 career yards kind of rusher that, um, Grimes inherited and just rode with. He like that system invented, uh, 1600 yard rusher, Abram Smith and, you know, Tay McWilliams, it's hard to make more of an impression in 17 carries than he did. Like half of them went for 10 plus yards. A couple of went for 40 plus. Like it, it does. It's very easy to make assumptions that that could be proven true. It's, you know, like I said, the, the numbers don't make assumptions like that. It's pretty easy to be pretty confident though. Yeah. Looking at, looking at TCU uh, being projected at six, I know that SP plus it doesn't really take in. It doesn't uh, take take in coaching changes right. as part of, you know, the numbers it, it spits out. I like Sonny Dykes, but you've got an interesting situation at quarterback there with Max Duggan and Chandler Morris, but that defense sucked last year. <laughs> it was terrible. I mean, they sucked and it was shocking to watch. Yep. So how is, or I guess, why do you think TCU is projected ahead of teams like tech and Iowa state, West Virginia? 
It was funny. I mean, they were 38th on offense last year and 109th on defense. And you're like, wait, this is Sonny Dykes' first year? He wasn't already there last year to produce that? That, that felt kind of – I mean, he was able to figure out some answers on defense. But that's still, you know, that's that's kind of the, the prototype uh, Dykes type of team, I guess. But, no, I mean, the, the major reason they're projected to do pretty well, their defense is still projected to be pretty bad, um, you know, because not only did you have a terrible defense last year, you just lost Mathis and Coleman too, like maybe your two most disruptive defenders. Um, but he propped up the defense a decent amount with just a volume of transfers, right? Like three defensive linemen, two linebackers, three defensive backs. That's going to help a little bit from a production standpoint. But really it's what they return on offense. Um, they were 38th last year. They're projected to improve to 12th because they returned basically every receiver, uh, every, you know, Max Duggan's back. Um, the offensive line is experienced. And then he, on top of that, he added Bailey from Louisiana. I love that guy. He's, he's a really, really solid running back. Um, and a couple linemen who played as well. So it's all offense. Um, they're what 12th overall on offense. And that basically props them up. Texas, I mean, obviously Texas Tech's kind of in a in a similar situation in terms of strengths and weaknesses there or experience and lack thereof. Um, but that ends up the fact that Tech lost their starting quarterback to transfer again, kind of a shape and situation, and that like Donovan Smith and Tyler Shuck are both probably maybe better than uh the guy who took the most snaps last year, but injuries kind of roughed that position up a little bit for Tech. But no, it, it comes down to like TC just has a few more proven entities on offense, and that makes the difference with with tech at least. Uh always forget his name, Gabe. You always have to save me. The wide receiver was uh Quentin uh, Johnston. Yes. John, yeah. I can't ever remember his name. It's the, I'm, I'm an idiot. I think that he may, I, because of how the volume of passing and what you're going to see from this offense, yep. you know, just statistically, he may end up being one of the leading receivers in the country this year. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to be um, one of the, one of the numbers I really like that sports info solutions produces and that I get to play with. And I, I know PFF has a version of this too, basically yards per route run. Um, it's, it's like, it ends up being a really a combination of like explosiveness and efficiency. And then just how frequently you were used in the passing game. You need all three. If you're just out running routes on every single play and you're throwing one ball a game, doesn't really matter if you do, if you, it's like a 40 yard catch, you're not going to grade out very well in this regard. Quentin Johnson was at 2.6 yards per route run. That's really high end right there anything over two is is good and it suggests that he could probably handle a lot more of a load and still produce at a high level Darius Davis and Tate Barber were also over, uh, also over two they were 2.1 each so yeah it seems like they've got the tools especially if Duggan I mean if he if he can handle the offense you know he it seems like he he's got a high ceiling Chandler Morris did pretty well when he was in the game last year too so yeah, it seems like they got all the pieces they need on offense. Yeah, so we're going to mark the podcast right here to insert some ads. So if you guys could do us a solid and just listen to them, that would be <laughs> that'd be a great tell the people to listen to them, Bill. Uh, absolutely. I never ever skip ads on a podcast. Absolutely. Ever. So here are those. Okay, Texas Tech projected 7th in SP+. Really I'll believe they play good defense when I see it, but <laughs> I would assume any success they have is going to be based off Zach Kitley, the new offense coordinator, and that offense. I don't know if it's going to be Donovan Smith, uh, Tyler Shuck, quarterback. That is to be determined, but it 
I, I assume the offense is going to be the strength of that football team. Yeah, it's it's that's a safe assumption. I mean, special teams is good last year too, so maybe that's a that plays into it a little bit. But no, I mean, even with some solid turnover in the receiving core, which is a thing. I mean, they what four of their top five targets are gone. Um, you know, having Smith and Shug there, um, having. Uh, a lot of options, I would say, uh, in the backfield. Uh, you know, Taj Brooks ended up getting fewer carries than uh, Sir Roderick Thompson, but like six six and a half yards per carry, did really well in the uh, or showed potential in the in the passing game as well. I think he's a really interesting weapon. I, it, it, I guess it comes down to, you know, is this really is what we saw from Zach Kitley? Is it just it, you know? open box insert great offense, you know, from this point forward, is it just going to produce like we, we saw last year, obviously when he went to Western Kentucky last year, he brought so many good pieces with him. It was, it was like Western Kentucky was playing the Houston Baptist offense with the Houston Baptist too deep. But if he really just has the answers, if this is just his offense and they're, you know, going to start playing at a top 15 or 20 level offensively because of it, um, (laughs) that's a good team. I mean, that defense really shouldn't be horrible. Uh, especially by tech standards. Um, the bar is pretty low, but they they have a chance to be at least average. I like, I, I, he, he made some interesting moves in the portal, like Vidal Scott, the Arkansas State guy, um, bringing in like, uh, 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 what's his name? Blankenbaker. Everybody added a Wyoming transfer, it seems like. Um, it's like you just <laughs> so wanted to take a piece of that culture uh, and bring it to your program. But if those guys are at least decent, like this should be a, a by tech standards an okay defense, and and the offense is obviously massive potential. Again, SP Plus isn't going to take that into account. They just see you're pretty good offensively last year. You'll probably be pretty good again. But Kitley's kind of the the wild card here because that offense was so fun to watch last year. What's your what's your thoughts on Donovan Smith? There's there's moments where you see him on the field and you think, oh my God, this guy is going to be an absolute monster. And then there's moments where, you know, he looks like a young, inexperienced quarterback, um, big, fast, looks like a deer running out there, um, has a capable arm. I mean, he, it looks like the, a very potent mix of, of skills for a guy, uh, if they can ever get it out of him. Yeah. I mean, he had just an, enough of a sample size last year to be super confusing. Just in that, like seven for t- 17 for 22 against Oklahoma, 25 for 32, just torches Iowa State, a very good Iowa State defense. Um, torches Mississippi State with some with big plays, uh, you know, has a fish, major efficiency with against Baylor uh, in a game they easily could have won. That's all awesome. He also went nine for 29 for 83 yards against Oklahoma State. Um, so, I mean, the fact that he had that Caleb game, Williams, basically, you know, <laughs> right. Like he, he had that game, but he still ended up like 61% completion rate, nearly 150 passer rating. Um, I, I think for a freshman and again, he, you're right. He's big. He can move. I would assume he's the, he gets the tiebreaker here. If, if they just cannot figure out if it's Smith or Shug at quarterback or Morton, I know, you know, they've got a pretty good, uh, you know, well-touted redshirt freshman as well. You have to figure his youth and his running ability and size and everything else, you have to figure that's a tiebreaker here. And they end up leaning on him just for the future. But, you know, Shug was still bet more productive on average in his tiny sample. So, I mean, I guess if you're, you know, he still has an obvious chance. Bill, I am, I'm starting to think you're on Matt Campbell's payroll because <laughs> you've got 
Yeah, you've got Iowa State projected to finish eighth yeah. in the Big 12 after, you know, expectations were so high going into the season last year. Uh, to me, they were the most disappointing team in the entire country. But I feel like low expectations it is kind of right where Matt Campbell <laughs> wants the program in a weird way. So, you know, what, what are you thinking about Iowa State heading into the year? I felt so bad for them last year um, because like, I mean, I, I can easily point out, you know, close losses. They're, they're pretty random, uh, you know, and obviously they had a ton of those. The They lost by 10 to Iowa, but obviously if they just have two turnovers, then that game uh, looks a lot different. You know, lost by two to Baylor, seven to West Virginia, three to Tech and seven to Oklahoma, seven to Clemson, where <laughs> – where poor Brock Purdy runs for a first down and then fumbles it back across the line at the, at the end of the game. Yeah, like I was going to say that earlier, whenever you were talking about Adrian Martinez yeah, and how they're just kind of Brock Purdy may be the yeah. one exception. It doesn't <laughs> appear to be random with Brock Purdy. Yeah. And, and I felt bad. Cause I mean, they were so close to being what they were supposed to be last year and they weren't. And then they lost Purdy and they lost uh hall and they lost a ton on uh like the, the the offensive and defensive lines get thinned out a whole bunch, lost just about every defensive back. Um, and, and so it was, I can say that, you know, close games, they'll average out over time. Iowa State will bounce back next year. And then they just get destroyed by, from a returning production standpoint. And it looks like they're starting over. So yeah, it is going to, I mean, obviously the easy answer is, you know, if Hunter Deckers is good, they'll be fine. Um, but that kind of seems like, the situation um, they are projected to fall to 59th offensively from 34th. They're projected again, because defensive back production matters so much. They're projected to fall from 19th to 57th on defense. I don't see John Haycock field in a uh, uh, the number 57 defense ever. I assume they're going to be better than that. Um, but yeah, the, the, the offense, you know, do they have a, a reliable run game to lean on without Hall? Do they have as, as sketchy as Purdy was late in games, he was also very good for large percentages of games, uh, you know, 72% completion and all that. So I, it's just so hard. You're just, you're making such an assumption of Matt Campbell's abilities to put them it, like high in the league. And maybe he deserves those assumptions. Maybe they're going to be just fine. It's just, it's hard. Like I, I struggle with them this year. It feels like we're talking up all these other teams. Somebody has to lose games uh, and they're going to be less experienced than a lot of teams in the conference. I, I guess my, my thing with Iowa state is do you, do you assume that Matt Campbell just lucked upon a great group of guys that happened to all come up and play together? Right. Or do you believe in the fact that, they've done a great job developing um you know low level recruits and have built that into their program and if and that's what you think you should expect some new names to step in right and play well and there's still a couple of really good players on their team i mean Xavier Hutchinson has yep. uh, the potential to be you know maybe the best receiver in the conference if if he gets the other part of the formula with the quarterback uh good and and they can take advantage of his size and and skill but they've still got elite players there uh, a handful of them yeah and you figure you know with a lot of developmental programs with like iowa state like kansas state especially in snyder's second tenure it's kind of a cycle thing right like you you peak when you've got a bunch of seniors then you fall back to you know to just a six seven eight wins and then you push forward again when the new guys are experienced it isn't hard to see that kind of thing going here i do figure they'll bowl 
Um, I do figure their defense is going to be better than projected, and that should be enough to get them to six, seven wins. Uh, and then, you know, next year at this time, you're looking at, you know, if Deckers is the guy, or even if he isn't, whoever wins the job is probably coming back in, in 2023. Whoever wins the, the running back job is coming back. Most of, like, you're going to lose Hutchinson, but there are plenty of young guys who are going to see the field at receiver this year. So, yeah, I would say... I mean, I guess maybe it just says something in general that it, this is Iowa State we're talking about, and they're among the lowest teams in the country in terms of return to production, and they're projected 56, not 100th or whatever, you know, they would have been 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, that maybe says something in and of itself. But yeah, I mean, it is going to be, it's going to be tricky this year for them. And they're going to be in a lot of close games, and they're going to have to, with, with a younger team, they're going to have to figure out how to win those close games this time around when they couldn't last year. You've got, West Virginia projected to finish ninth in Kansas, bringing it up the rear, projected to finish 10th. When you look at those two teams, what are what are kind of the most interesting storylines for them heading into the year? I, every summer I step back and it, it, it weirds me out with Neil Brown at West Virginia that like we're always talking about like if the offense improves, you know, he's Mr. Air Raid, right? Like he was you know, coached by Hal Mummy and uh, has all this experience and was a good coordinator. Uh, and since he's been a head coach of both Troy and West Virginia, I don't think he's had, I don't remember where the line was in the piece. I don't think he's had like a top 70 offense per, per SP plus, but his defenses have been consistently very good. Not really the, what, what, how that's supposed to work. But their offense has been the problem. Defense is going to need some help. The reason they're projected so low is that they did get hit really hard uh, by defensive attrition. They brought in transfers, but not necessarily transfers that have produced at, at um, you know G5 schools or P5 schools. So um, he's asking a lot of really young guys defensively. Offense is going to have to step up and it, it hasn't for him yet. Now, Graham Harrell, JT Daniels, like I, like he, he made some very intriguing moves. He's got experience at the receiver receiver position with Ford Wheaton and Sam James. Um, I, I like Sam. Sam James is one of those guys. Like every time I watch them play, I'm like, I like that guy. And then at the end of the season, his stats just aren't just, just don't look at, at the drop rate for Sam. Right. James. Exactly. Oh uh, yeah. Like actually, him a lot. On my little spreadsheet, his drop rate is in deep red, which is a problem. Oh boy. But, um, so what seven percent? So oh my yeah, gosh. yeah. So that's I, that. That's all it is. If if Harold and Daniels mean suddenly they have a competent, solid offense, then I mean they should at least bowl. But again, if we're looking at you know somebody's got to lose, they're projected. They're they're favorites in two games per SP plus this year. Kansas and Towson. Um, lots of toss ups in there, but they're not actually favored in anything outside of those two games. And that's a problem. That's, that's going to be a problem. I mean, he's. I really like Neil Brown. I, he did a great job at Troy. I thought this would work out a lot, but I mean, you, you figure he's going to need to at least get to six wins this year. What do you think about JT Daniels? I, I have, I don't understand the hype. I never really have. I, you know, outside of maybe like two or three games in his mm -hmm. career, he number one, does stay on the field. Right. Well, that's uh, yeah. <laughs> been injured a bunch. Um, you know, I, I think that I think he's got a good arm and can make some big plays, but seems inconsistent and always chasing those expectations. What what is what do the numbers say about JT Daniels? Yeah, I mean, it liked that as a true freshman in 18, um, you know, he his numbers were fine 
which for, for a true freshman, they were good uh, at USC in 18. But then, yeah, I mean, the biggest issue is he's a fifth year senior. We still don't really know him. Um, and it's crazy to say that, but obviously, you know, he plays one game in 2019. He is still hurt for most of 2020. He looked spectacular at the end of 2020. Like, absolutely, this is what Georgia's offense was always supposed to be, almost 70% completion rate, using the entire field. Because um, that's the one thing, like, when he's healthy, and he's like it, as rare as that it is, you can throw all the vertical routes. You can throw all sideline to sideline. You can use everything, and that helps your run game and so many other things. Um, but then, you know, he starts 2021 against one of the best defenses in the country and doesn't look all that great. Then he's hurt. Then he sort of comes back, but he's still hurt. And then he's hurt more. And, um, you know, eventually it wasn't worth bringing him back because they were, you know, Stetson Bennett had had matured a little bit more than he was where he was in 2020. So it's crazy to say for a fifth year senior that I don't know what I think about him. Mm-hmm. I know his arms awesome. And maybe with Harold, you know, we saw he was like 25 for 34 in his one game with Harold in, in 2019. Maybe that was a sign that that's a perfect marriage, but I don't see how, no matter how good you think he is or isn't, I don't, I mean, Garrett Green, Crowder, et cetera, the other quarterback's still going to have to be ready because, I mean, he, this guy hasn't played 12 games since his freshman year. Are, should, should Kansas fans be excited? <laughs> is there hope, Bill? This last one, and we'll let you go. Is there hope? Uh, what, what, define hope. <laughs> like, <laughs> are they going to bowl this year? Probably not. Four um, games? I think four four wins would be, I mean, that'd be a big accomplishment, right? Right. It'd be the first time in a while. That's for sure. No, I mean, their schedule is the obstacle here. I think they're absolutely going to be better. Offensively, they're going to be downright solid, I think. You know, Jalen, they're projected 88, but that's not taken into account that Jalen Daniels really took the offense to a different place the last whatever that was, three or four games. Um, I think with him, with Devin Neal healthy, Kai Thomas from Minnesota is good. They're going to be able to do what they want offensively, and they're going to have some games where it really comes together nicely. Defense was so bad and so devoid of talent last year. Like Borland, the defensive coordinator, like he, they're, they're pretty straightforward defensively. Um, and once they kind of, once they get that developmental thing going, Lonnie Phelps from Miami, Ohio is good at defensive end. I just don't think they're going to have nearly enough talent yet. And, um, that's, you know, that's probably going to cost them constantly in, in, in big 12 play. I think they can beat Duke. I think they can beat Tennessee tech. I think they can absolutely pull a couple of upsets, but that's still only going to get them to like four wins, um, which for Kansas is obviously a step forward, but it's still not a, you know, hope that I don't think we're going to see a, a bowl run by any means. And I love Lance Leipold and I don't see that. I think Jalen Daniels may be one of the, he probably is the most underrated player in all of college football. <laughs> and the reason I say that is because he does some really nice things, but 90% of plays he's running for his life. <laughs> yeah. Like, like not even offensive line, not getting in the way at all. Doesn't even have time to, to set up and, and even get his eyes downfield before everything's pouring in on top of him. Is the offensive line going to be good enough to just give him an instant to try and make a play? 
Yeah, I mean, it's funny. Like, I think run blocking, I think they've got a potential for a really nice line. I can't t- pass blocking. It's hard to tell. Like, I, I really like Earl Bostic Jr. Novitsky, the, the Buffalo transfer at center. He was like honorable mention all conference. Um, you know, they have those guys, but they had them last year and it didn't really result in a good line. So it's got to be those sophomores. Uh, you know, you got a couple more transfers. It's an extremely young line still outside of Novitsky and, uh, and Bostic. So you do figure... Uh, that's going to hold them back at times. Um, but yeah, like Daniels, I, I this is the smallest of samples, but I looked at like total QBR after November 1st last year, just down the stretch of the season. He was like 21st in total QBR last year as a sophomore running for his life. And so I do think even though that was a small sample, I think the potential is obvious, especially with a really uh, with a much more exper- experienced receiving core. It's all freshmen and sophomores aside from Lasseter last year. So I, I, I think... If the offensive line is just fine, competent, um, you know, outside of those two guys, then they've got a lot of offensive potential. Bill, it's it's always such a pleasure when you come on here and bless us with your knowledge. We we kept you entirely too long, but you're just too good, man. We couldn't let you go. <laughs> All my answers are like eight minutes long, so you didn't really have a choice. I don't think it's great. It's, it's going to be a great well, podcast. People aren't going to see this coming. Full on football talk <laughs> on the Fourth of July. Come That's on right. now. And a You're little soccer. Yeah, a little soccer. You're the man. <laughs> Thanks, bud. Absolutely. I know it's only July, but man, that felt good. It's good. Went through all 10 teams. Get your good football base in. You got you got enough info on every Big 12 team to to really uh to start the process gearing up for for this fall. Awesome, man. I love I love the way he he puts it all together admits that it's it's maybe not perfect for the for the projection but he stays true to what it spits out it's i think it's a good system he's got yeah and the good part about this episode and that interview you can listen to that all the way up until we kick things off yeah here in in, for the season so that's that's a good one to listen to it once maybe revisit it here in a couple weeks for for another refresher all right Episode 228 in the books. We'll have a new podcast that'll drop Thursday morning. Just a reminder, you can hear Teddy from 3 to 6 on 94.7 The Ref. You can hear me on SiriusXM Big 12 Radio Channel 375. Hope you all had a great 4th of July. Have a great rest of your week. Hopefully you recover nicely. (laughs) Until next time, we appreciate all for listening. Do what you always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other. Just one more time.